truck and your road to success in the trucking industry. This is Trucking Business and Beyond, the show that puts the money where it belongs, back in your pocket. Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. The website is letstruck.com. The show is all about the business of trucking, and today is the Power Hour. We'll take your calls and answer your questions about everything maintenance. Engines, performance, fuel mileage, modifications, upgrades, emissions, troubleshooting, new technology, you name it. We'll talk about it. All you have to do is pick up the phone and join us. I've got uh, John and Ethan with me from Pittsburgh Power today. Welcome back, guys. Thanks, Kevin. Glad to be here. Good to be here, Kevin. And uh, guys, I know you are. Uh, you guys carry the the fleet air filter, and it's something you believe in and use a lot. And we've also got joining us today Jeffrey Judge from Fleet Air Filter. Jeffrey, welcome back. Thank you for having me. So, Jeffrey, what's uh, what's going on over at Fleet Air Filters these days? You guys look busy. Uh, we're we're trying to be busy. Uh, we've uh, we're in the process. Uh, hopefully, by the first of the year, we will be having all of our uh, CNC work uh, done in house for our Gen Three filters. So we're uh, in the process. I've been in a meeting all morning, uh, software guys, and uh, getting that set up. So uh, first of the year, we'll we'll be doing all that in house. You know, so we can get better. Uh, quality control over it and uh, have more inventory. Uh, right now we're uh, getting new stock in all the Gen 3 filters uh, every day, so uh, we've had a couple of back orders here lately and we're, we're getting that uh, handled as quickly as possible and that's why we're trying to move everything in-house. Well, that's exciting. And uh, it's also exciting to realize we're on Gen 3. Well, you guys have been at this a while. Uh, it's it's been a, a work in progress. The the Gen three filters, which are all the uh, the newer filters for like the T six sixties, T six eighties, and Coronados and Cascadias, we're we're trying to stay up to date with all the new filter technology that uh, they keep producing, so we can stay on top of our game and get guys the the performance and, and fuel mileage out of their trucks that they they want and expect out of our filters absolutely hey yeah uh, i want to bring uh john in on this as well john you've seen a lot of trucks you've worked with the fleet air filter a lot doesn't it seem like especially when you look at the newer trucks and some of the designs on these new filters i i realize space is at a premium under that hood there's more and more stuff being added all the time but it seems to me like sometimes the air intake system is the last thing to be thought of and anymore they're just cramming it into whatever space they can find uh, that's that's obvious to me right now yeah that's and you see look at the filter area itself is uh, cut in half from what it used to be on some of them so that's got to be a challenge for you there at fleet isn't it it, it has been a challenge uh, we're we're trying to get all of our filters where they're going to get the adequate airflow and filtration. Uh, most of our filters that we've been designing have uh, 
two to three times as much surface area as the OEM filters that they have out now. So, um, you know, we get a lot of calls. Uh, you know, I, I can hear my turbo more. I can I can feel the power. You know, when I'm pulling a hill and things like that. So, it, it, it's good to know that the the work that we've put into it is you know almost an immediate response and effect on the truck. You know that that's something that we've uh, we've been striving since we we came out. Uh, you know, ten or twelve years ago, and that's one of the things that we we keep striving to always evolve and 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 keep this going john well that that's obvious to me looking at the product yeah that's it's one of my favorite products that we sell here from the uh the quality of the build that i see the you know even the spun parts or the machine parts that i see on them all look uh, look terrific uh really high quality I have, I have a question for you it's somewhat somewhat selfish uh, when you do your design work, have you, do you do any sort of uh, modeling or CFD to, to calculate flow, or do you uh, use a use a flow bench, or you know, and just get get hard numbers that way? What uh, what's your process, and you know, when you design quantifying, you know, the, the flow numbers before you uh, put something to market? Well, first of all, we we do all of our uh, 3D CAD work uh, in house. I've been I've been handling that for the past several years. Um, then we we try to use a flow bench to to get adequate numbers off of that, but we really like to test you know real world, have a truck, um, you know spend some time with it, you know try to you know get them on the highway and and let them see how it's performing and seeing what else we can do. That's one of the things that we're doing all this new CNC stuff here. Uh, we just got our machine delivered uh, a few weeks ago. So we're trying to to get it. So if we need to make any adjustments, we can do it, you know, within a, a, a day tops, as opposed to it taking several weeks to get a prototype out. So we can get it tested that way. So we're trying to to have a a real example, a real prototype that's going to be as close to a, a you know a ready made piece as possible. So we can get it out on the road and test it as soon as possible. I got you. Yeah, I'm living through some trial and error right now with our our latest product, Dorothy. Here, that's uh, you know been been challenging, and just wondering you know what what your process was and uh, how you how you go about you know because you you could have similar issues uh, to what, what I'm experiencing with mine right now. Yeah, and uh, you know it, it is a challenge. Uh, you know that's that's when we quit quit doing all the modeling and stuff that we've had, and you know drawn dimensions on paper and stuff we, we we just went straight for it and you know purchased the, the software to start doing it which uh the 3d software that we use does offer you know a an air gauge and all on that but you know we we would right. rather go in and try to get real world results you know right then and there so we can know what we do need to change and you know adjust it where where it would be more beneficial for the the truck is as opposed to you know what it would be for us you know so we can make sure that we get as much possible uh out of the filter as far as you know uh, cut time and as far as designing the things and as far as you know ease of install for some of the users uh we don't like to have any issues with that we we make sure that everything fits perfect and when you get a final product from us, you're going to be happy with it for years to come. 
That's terrific. Yeah, like I said, I'm very, very impressed with it. It's uh, like I said, one of my favorite products that we sell here. It's uh, we've never had anybody unhappy with, and you see the results almost immediately, and you hear them. It's uh, it's it's a, it's a really, really nice, uh, really nice product. Thank you. We appreciate that, John. You know, I, I don't think people realize, you know, how old the paper filter technology is, and and how it really hasn't changed much, and it's just lacking in every area. In, in some ways, it's too dense for airflow, and yet it still lets more dirt through than an oiled foam filter does. But how important is airflow to a diesel engine? It's it's one of the most important things, if not the most important thing. Yeah, air, airflow is everything. An engine's just an air pump. If you can't efficiently move air, you're not going to efficiently burn diesel fuel. It's pretty pretty simple. <laughs> which Which is why... You know, I've often wondered why it seems like an afterthought, you know, and and you have two issues. You have the intake system, the shape, the size, the turns, the, you know, how much filter area you have, and then the filter media itself, and at least we can fix that. You know, at least we can change the media and get much better airflow out of the fleet air filter, but um, it is, I've seen some of these new filters, that there's some challenging designs um, to, like I said, it seems like they're just cramming, they're shrinking the air intake system and cramming it in wherever they can. And it seems to me like it's a little more important than that. Oh, it absolutely is. And if you think about the constraints the manufacturers have, you know, we talk about this often about the aftermarket and where we fit into things. You know, they've got budgetary constraints. They've got... Uh, you know, aerodynamics, and they've got design criteria to deal with. And quite often, you know, they're not going to, and they know they're not going to do the best they can with, with a certain aspect of a design. It's a compromise that they're willing to, to take. So, you know, that's where it's up to us to take a look and see what we can do in a, in a product like the fleet air filter, particularly on these new uh, trucks, is going to be huge. That's going to be a really big deal. Absolutely. Hey, Jeffrey, um, anything going on for the holidays? Well, we would we would like to go ahead and announce that uh, between Let's Truck and Pittsburgh Power and, and, of course, with us, that you can pick up any of the filters, including the uh, spare wraps, uh, 10% off. Uh, that's going to be from Thursday, the uh, 23rd of November, up until January 3rd, or I'm sorry, January 2nd. Uh, this is the first time that we've ever offered our filters on sale. So we're, we're trying to um, go ahead and, and let everybody know that uh, in the coming days and, and weeks uh, leading up to Christmas, you can definitely be picking up a, a fleet air filter and uh, have a nice little Christmas present for everybody. Fantastic. Jeffrey Judge from Fleet Air Filter, thanks for joining us. Make sure to grab your filter soon. 10% off's a great deal, but you also want to get your tax deduction in this year. So pick it up. We're doing it at the Let'sTruck.com store, Pittsburgh Power Fleet Air Filter. Doesn't matter where you get it, just get it, get your discount, get your tax deduction.
Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. This is the Power Hour. John and Ethan are with me here. Uh, great special on the fleet air filter. Make sure you grab that. Um, John, some uh, exciting news this past week. I know uh, you and I both watched the unveiling of the Tesla truck. And I, I, I got to say, I, I know we're not there yet on electric truck technology. There's still a lot to go, but I, I was pleasantly surprised that this truck is more than what I expected out of their first version. Oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, even if it doesn't quite live up to that, it doesn't doesn't frighten me. Everybody seems to want to think it's going to, uh, you know, be everything he says right now. And you, you've got to be more realistic than that. Uh, you know, what what Tesla are doing right now are providing proof of concept. Uh, they're building infrastructure. I'm sure they're racking up patents left and right on these control systems and everything on here that, you know, whenever the big players jump in, it's it's going to be huge. And it, it takes a mind like Musk, you know, at the helm to to, to do this. Uh, you know, everyone wants to poo-poo it and say they didn't make money last year and blah, 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 blah. It doesn't, doesn't matter. Completely doesn't matter. He's out there doing stuff. He's out there making things happen. And I don't care, you know, how much mo- government money he got or whatever. He's actually getting stuff done with it. And, you know, if, it, if that proves to be nothing more than he's done thus far, i got to believe it was worth it to somebody. I'm sure there are already, you know, numerous, numerous patents that will need to be bought up and things because it's going to happen. It's, it's a matter of when, not, not if. So, so that was, we're going to go this way. So not much of a choice. You know, it's interesting. I, I'm with you. I mean, it, it, he's a salesman. He's got to be. I mean, he's got big visions, big dreams, big goals. He's going to go out there and he's going to give you the best of everything. There's no question. And it may not live up to some of that. There's going to be some shortcomings. But, you know, if we think about the internal combustion engine, we have over 100 plus years at that. That's a long time to improve and work out bugs. And honestly, whether we look at gasoline or diesel... I'm not sure where we go next. You know, what, what could they do to make that technology advance, you know, in a really spectacular way? I, I just don't see it. We're making small gains here and there, but I don't know where we would take that technology, especially now with the missions that have really overcomplicated, even if we get it right the way we do in cars. I, I still don't think it's the best way to propel a vehicle. When you look at electric technology... If, if we could make improvements in battery, I mean, that's the weak point, clearly. When I looked at this truck, or when I, you know, I got reinterested in Tesla again, and I've looked at them before, but I happened to be near a mall. I knew they had a store in there, so I walked in. And you look at that car, and I crawled all over it. And they even, you know, they have the version there with no body on it. It's just the frame and the motors. And I look at that, and I think, this is so simple. There's just almost nothing to this. I, I get that it's incredibly complicated and, you know, really sophisticated technology. But when you look at the moving parts, there's almost nothing. Uh, absolutely. The, uh, and the truck's the same way. I guarantee your current truck, with all of its emission controls and everything, which I'm not afraid of either, is probably more complicated than that Tesla truck. I guarantee you it's probably harder to work on it is probably more complicated than that Tesla truck. If you think about the technology, okay, so there's some incredibly complicated control systems, but what attaches them is just some wire. Right. You know, it, there's right. not going to be a whole lot under there. 
so it's it, it it makes a ton of sense on on many many levels to me. It just uh, it does. Uh, it's going to be fun. I mean, it's going to be fun to watch. I'm glad it's happening in my lifetime. You know, I, it's going to be really interesting for our kids. So that's uh, but you know we'll, we'll we'll definitely see it. You you know I I have a hard time. I people think because I post about autonomous technology all the time that somehow I'm for it. I I don't know what could be further from the truth. I, I've built my entire life, my career, my business around one customer, people who drive trucks. That's been my whole business and whole life. Why would I be for a technology that's going to replace them? But I realize it's happening. It's coming. So when I post, it's really just to say, look, this is coming. There's still tons of opportunity for drivers. There's going to be for at least another decade, um, but it's changing. So it's hard for me to get excited about autonomous technology even though i'm kind of a tech geek and i'd love to see it i hate what it's going to do to my industry and and my business but the electric truck technology i can get really excited about i I think this is very cool absolutely And, and the fact that it has some autonomous technology on it this is the part of autonomous that i would like you know, there's still a driver. I could still own this truck. As an owner-operator, honestly, if I still had my fleet at FedEx, they'd have $5,000 of my money right now, and I'd have one of these on order. <laughs> Absolutely. Just imagine, oh, you could build yourself a killer RV out of one, order one anyway. I, well, I thought about that. You'd go to it's Renegade just... and build a coach behind it. <laughs> I, I thought about that. It's just, Why not? It's just really hard to justify that cost. You know, I don't put enough miles on <laughs> on mine. When when it was out there making money and, you know, if their cost savings comes true, and, you know, they didn't give us a lot of numbers, um, but I, I can kind of make a guess at how they get to their dollar twenty five, and, you know, is it truly a 20% savings? Well, it is if we're talking about a fleet. You know, that th- this was all based on fleet cost of a brand new truck over a certain amount of time. And, you know, if you can save 20%, that's going to be huge. It's not going to work in every operation. We know that. There are going to be some limitations. But the other thing that Tesla has been pretty darn good about is they have a track record of building out infrastructure. And they've done a good job of it. And, you know, a couple years ago when natural gas was the big rage... And I was saying back then, I don't think this is going anywhere. This technology, to me, makes no sense whatsoever. And, you know, there's not enough infrastructure for it. Nobody took the time to build out the infrastructure. And as soon as diesel prices went down, everybody jumped off the natural gas bandwagon. Nobody's even talking about it anymore. You know, we have the the Nikola, which is also really exciting. But are they going to be able to bring that to the real world or not? Will they be able to build out their hydrogen network? I don't know because they haven't proven that yet. But Tesla has proven that they will build out the infrastructure for this vehicle. Uh, oh, absolutely. Uh, to me, all of the you know the hydrogen is not fossil based. Really, it may take it to make it. Um, it, any any of the fossil based technology, spending money and effort and technology and infrastructure in that realm to me is, is senseless. I, I just don't see it. The, the renewables are going to happen. Uh, the battery technology is what's going to take us there. The ability to store the energy, 
um, no matter how you capture it is, is what's going to do it. You know, whether you know, you're capturing it on your truck with regenerative braking or just rolling down a hill or however it may work, or if you're capturing it from wind or capturing it from sun, or if you're, or if you're burning something to get it to either, either way, it's, it's going to, if you, you capture it and reuse it and, and move it around, that's, that's where the technology is right now with, uh, everything. Uh, so, you know, to, the natural gas thing, there's just not enough energy in it per pound or per space or whatever for it to ever really made sense. And it only made sense to people who were getting it for free. You know, yeah. I had gas companies I dealt with when I worked with my father that had a natural gas powered fleet. And it was cheaper for them to just pressurize right there and do it. But they were a gas company. So, okay, that makes sense. Right. But, uh, you know, to, to build, to invest, to, uh, you know, build infrastructure around something like that, to me, is just not sensible. It's, it doesn't, you know, it's... Say what you want, uh, you know the millennials are be, will be taken over soon, and they believe what they believe, and it's gonna things are gonna change. It's just gonna change, uh, and it's good. I mean, things can change. It's okay. We'll work through it. You know, if you look at but his, uh, you know, yeah, if you look at his vision, the only thing that's constant is change, right? That's right. And if we think about, you know, think about phone service, you know. However long ago it was, long time ago, we wired the entire country for phone service. Well, that technology is useless now. I mean, I haven't had a wired home phone in a decade. Why would I? I have a phone in my pocket. Why would I want right. it? And his vision of power, of electricity, is the same thing. We've built this huge grid this power grid, and we know, you and I have talked about the whole EMP threat and, you know, hacking our grid through the Internet and what that would do. His, his vision of power would eliminate the grid completely. He's already in Puerto Rico where they, they lost their whole grid saying, wait a minute, why would you rebuild the grid? Let's build little individual solar collectors and use power walls. And he'll be in there providing power to people in days with his technology, when they're claiming it could take years to rebuild their grid, and we still have the same old vulnerable grid again. You know, his idea is why, it, why right. you yeah. know, every house would be its own little power station, and your vehicles would be powered from there, and your house would be powered from there, and it'll be primarily solar, but we could use wind or, you know, who knows what other kind of technology to generate the electricity... Our biggest problem is still storage, but they're making a lot of headway on storage. I, you know, it, he gets a lot of criticism because he's out in front. He is a little weird, um, but I think some of the stuff he's doing is absolutely amazing. We'll, uh, we'll be right back. Stick around. I'm Kevin Rutherford.
Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. This is the Power Hour. I've got John and Ethan with me from Pittsburgh Power. John, you know the other thing that, uh, again, I've studied electric vehicle technology, and, and it, but it's been a little while and I haven't gotten really deep into it, uh, mostly because I just felt like with our battery technology we weren't there yet, and I think we are now. I mean, we're ready. Tesla's already proving it in cars. They're ready to jump into the truck market. But what I really started thinking about was when they talked about the performance of this truck. You know, zero to 60 in five seconds, zero to 60 in 20 seconds with 80,000 pounds. That's incredible. And no gears, no shifting, no transmission, no differential, no driveline. You think of all the problems that go away with that technology. And then, you know, the big surprise of the night, we all knew there was a truck coming. The big surprise of the night was the Roadster. And... Oh, yeah. You know, when you think of that title of world's fastest production car, you know, lots of people fight over that title every year, and it gets beaten by a little bit here or there, and they spend gobs and gobs of money to come up with that vehicle. And again, that's after a hundred plus years of internal combustion technology. A hundred plus years to work on that and perfect it. And out of the blue, Tesla produces an electric car that's the fastest production car in the world. <laughs> Amazing, isn't it? I love it. It's incredible. And that truck, think about that. That thing would, no, no pun intended, would smoke the biggest, baddest cat we've ever built. Oh, yeah. Like, it wouldn't even yeah. be close. Like, like, <laughs> like would, would walk right by it. Not, not even close. So it just, just blows me away. It's real performance, too, which is, that's the angle Tesla's always taken. You know, you can always look down your nose at a Prius. Uh, just because of whatever, you know, I mean, yeah. I've actually driven yeah. one and they're kind of fun to drive, <laughs> but, uh, it's, uh, you know, they've never, ever, you know, the, their first prototypes are built out of Lotus Elises, which were a really light aluminum, little two seater, you know, cool car. And, and they just convert them. So the very first Teslas were, you know, just Lotus Elises that were, uh, that were converted to electric. And again, they proved concept. The cars performed even better, you know, they had a range of maybe 80 miles at the time. If that, uh, you know, you know, Top Gear guys would get them and run them around the racetrack till they died. I think, it, <laughs> in, you know, in full chat, they'd make it like two or three laps and then be they'd fall flat on their face. But, you know, while it ran, it performed. You know, and and this this technology's grown exponentially since, and it's going to continue to. I think the the real zenith is about to happen. I don't think it's even we, we're we're you know we're at the tip of the iceberg now. When everybody else jumps in, it's going to be huge. Yeah, absolutely huge. I I agree. You know, and I had a caller over the weekend who kind of uh, criticized me for praising Tesla and ignoring Cummins with their electric truck and Daimler with their electric truck. And I said, look, I, I get it. Cummins came out and, you know, announced their truck. That's exciting. Daimler. Everybody's got something in the works. I said, but here's the reason I'm praising Tesla. One, they've proven they can do this. They've put an electric vehicle on the road that's light years ahead of everybody else. Forget the Chevy Volt and the Nissan Leaf. And, you know, they don't even come close to the Tesla. They've built out a, a their supercharging network, which is pretty amazing. And... Here's the other thing. When I saw Cummins' truck, their electric truck, I was underwhelmed. I mean, they basically did what Tesla was doing a decade ago. They're taking an off-the-shelf truck and modifying it. 
and you're not getting all the advantages of not having an engine and a drivetrain. You look at Tesla, that truck looks like no other truck that's ever been designed because they can. They don't have an engine and a drivetrain. They have to fit everything around. So, well, where a lot of people, I look at Tesla as a technology company. So the big three automakers and the Europeans and Cummins, they have responsibilities right now. You know, they've got to build engines. They've got to, they've got to design emission control systems. And all the while, they've got shareholders they have to keep happy. They've got a customer base they have to keep happy. Tesla doesn't. Yep. Tesla does have shareholders to keep happy, I'm sure. There are plenty of investors there. there. There's a lot to be done there. But as long as they're creating the, you know, the, the technology, as long as they're proving concept, as long as they're working on infrastructure, they're doing their job. Their job is not to be a viable car or truck company right now. Maybe it'll grow into that. Maybe it'll work out for them. I personally believe that they're the canary in the coal mine. You know, while the big three automakers and the, you know, the big truck makers and so forth are sitting there, you know, keeping their customers happy and doing the job they have to do and wrapped up in the moment of dealing with old technology and trying to make it work, while they have a tiny bit of their budget that they can allot to projects like this and a tiny bit of time they can allot to projects like this, it's all Tesla does. It's their job, right? So that's yeah. what they're doing. Okay, yeah, they're selling some cars. They're a niche car maker, whatever, but that's really not their primary deal. Right. They are a technology company. So you need to think of it like that. You can't think of them as a, as a viable you know, automaker. Oh, they'll be out of, out of business in a year. They had you know, $600 million in losses last year, blah, blah, right. blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So right. what? Right. You know, it, just, yeah. it just doesn't matter. Yeah. Well, I, I think it's really exciting. I am going to try. Uh, we're trying to get an inside track. I'd love to be able to go down there and, and maybe do some more reporting on that truck. So um, Lisa's working on that for me. The other thing I saw in the news today, um, this is the autonomous side of things, which I'm not nearly as excited about, but we have to pay attention to um, Uber. I've talked many, many times about what Uber's long game really is. They used their, their ride-sharing app to capture the ride-sharing market, and they've done a very good job of it. They, they are the largest taxi company in the world, and up until now, they didn't own any vehicles to speak of. Largest taxi company in the world. Their long game, though, they're, they're capturing the market first, and then they'll bring in their autonomous technology to really take advantage of that market at a very low cost. That, that's my belief that that's their long game. I think they're going to do the same thing in freight. They're using owner-operators and small carriers to capture the freight market as a broker. And eventually they'll have the freight and then they'll have the autonomous equipment. They just bought one4 billion dollars worth of Volvo XC90s that'll be fully autonomous. Oh, I, uh, I, I read that same article that you did, and you, it made the local news here first because you know where uh, Uber Technologies is based. Right. They, they're, right. they're in an old, uh, you know, old brownfield mill site in Pittsburgh. I mean, so the Advanced Vehicle Technology Group is based here. This is their headquarters. It's not in Silicon Valley. It's in good old Pittsburgh, PA. Yeah. So it's really cool. Though, you know, I look at that as a double-edged sword, but if you look at their business model, right? So right now they've got a bunch of owner-operator taxis, don't they? You yes, know, so, so it's that's the same right. thing. You're, it's an owner-operator out there driving people around instead of freight, and they're about to be replaced. I mean, not tomorrow. It's no, going to take a right. while. 
But they bought, you know, th- that number, you, you gave the monetary amount, I'll, I'll give the number of vehicles, 24,000 XT90 Volvos. <laughs> 24,000. What a boon for Volvo. And they, choo- yeah. they, they chose, they did choose, you know, maybe not, not by, I'm sure by design, but they did choose the safest vehicle in the world. Yes. Like you could roll one of those things over a cliff and not get hurt. So, you know, so for all the people who are going to be afraid of an autonomous vehicle, it's like, well, you're you're in an XC90 that can, you know, we could drive it off of this bridge and you're probably going to survive. <laughs> right. So it's uh, it, it's amazing to me what's going on there. There was a there was a really cool uh, little blurb on uh, one of the local NPR news shows uh, in the morning uh, one day a few weeks ago. It's predicted that within two years there will be 200,000 jobs in the autonomous vehicle either engineering, installation, uh, within the Pittsburgh area. So, you know, forget, we're going to have more people working in the autonomous field than ever worked here in steel. Think about that. Wow. And, wow. and it's just because the investment was, that was made in this area with the universities and the, the amount of uh, you know, corporate headquarters we have here. This is a town of 400,000 people, you know, if that. So the city proper is 400,000 people. The whole suburban area is a million and it's predicted that there'll be 200,000 people working in the autonomous field here. Wow. So the uh, artificial intelligence, Argo AI is based here. They do all the artificial intelligence for probably every automated everything in the world. They, uh, Ford just bought a huge hunk of property right down the road from Uber where they're going to put their autonomous lab. So it's just, uh, it, 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 you know, I love it because of where I am. You know, my, my son is an engineering student. Right now, Uber is hiring engineering grads from CMU at $200,000 a year. You could go to CMU, which isn't cheap. You're going to spend two hundred fifty grand to go there unless you get a, right. you get a scholarship. Right. Uh, walk out with an engineering degree, walk right down the road to Uber, and have a job for two hundred grand a year. Wow. Think about that. That's incredible. It, it, so, so here's just the, put those numbers. Let those roll around in your head a little bit. Uh, yeah. Well, <laughs> so, the, yeah. you know, the, the 24,000 Volvo XC90s. That at one point four billion dollars. Those are crazy numbers, and they're going to start delivering those in the next couple of years. It's not long off. Oh, crazy stuff! I've got to get to a break. We're going to come back. We're going to get to some of your calls and questions. So stick around. We'll be right back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. Check out the website. It's letstruck.com. If you haven't downloaded our app yet, get it. It's free. It does one thing, and it does it really well. You download the app, you open it up, you can listen to all of our shows. You can listen live, you can listen to all the recorded shows, you can listen to the weekend shows, everything's on there, and it's free. Go to your app store and search Audio Road, no space, Audio Road, one word. We'll be right back. Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. This is the Power Hour. I know we're down to the final segment. We haven't even taken a call yet. John and I are uh, 
talking about new technology. John, you know, I was thinking... Uh, or tech talk. We, we, that, need to do our te- we do need to do our tech talk show at some point, once a month or something. We, we do. And you know what? I have another friend. Um, I, I don't, I'm sure along the lines you've seen our monkey brittle, the stuff just literally flies off the shelves. This weekend, um, we made a batch of 200 bags of monkey brittle. 53 minutes it was sold out. It, but that's clearly beside the point. The guy, wow. who, the guy who owns the company that we're working with, we're kind of partnering with them now. We help them make it, and we're, we've got a new building going up so we can make more of it. Um, he is a huge electric car aficionado, has been going way, way back when. Um, he also owns a chain of media stores like books, music, used, vintage, all that stuff. He owns a big chain around Tucson, lots of locations called Bookman's. And he was the first, okay. the first business in the United States to have electric car charging in his parking lots of his Bookman stores, the first one in the United States. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, he buys all these, uh, you know, some of the really little, you know, tiny electric cars that have come along over the years. Some of them are British, and he restores them. And so he wants to do a show about, you know, electric car technology. So maybe the three of us will get together and we'll we'll cover, you know, new technology. I think that would be fun. Oh, Absolutely. You live in the hotbed of it. I, I, you know, have done some research with our our own research into doing an electrified axle and so forth. But I, I find a whole lot of tinkerers have websites and have speed controllers and different things. Are all either based in in Portland or Seattle? There's a whole underground network of people. There's a there's a blog on somewhere uh, of a fellow who got a crash Tesla and put a whole VW bus body on top of it. So he's got a basically a, he, he took a he took a Model S wow and took all the all the underpinnings of it and put it under an old Westy VW bus. So he's got a he had to stretch it a little bit to get the wheelbase right. So he had two buses really and he he made a big, you know, he made an electric all-wheel drive electric, you know, wow, 200 mile plus range <laughs> VW bus with uh you know, all Tesla underpinnings on it. So it was really cool. But, yeah, so if you just do a little Google search, you'll find this stuff. And they're all where you are, you know, with all those crazy hippies yeah. there in uh, in Portland. So yeah. it's uh, – they're really uh, – they're a creative bunch up there. I've spent they're, some time up there, and there really are a lot of creative people around, and that seems to be spilling into technology as well. They're, they're all smoking pot and playing with electricity. It's amazing what happens. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So, yep. so you yeah. know, I got thinking about all those jobs there in Pittsburgh, and, you know, I, I think I'm probably a little old to go back to school to think about one of those jobs in autonomous technology, but I'm wondering if maybe I could get a job with uh, being a crash test dummy for the autonomous vehicles. <laughs> you probably could. Yeah, you probably can. Well, I'm I'm damn proud to have a, a kid that's uh, you know he's 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 pulling down really really good numbers at a an elite engineering school right now. So uh, he's in his junior year. He's going to stay for for five and, and leave with a master's. So he's going to you know he's not quite uh, he's, he's got more than a year to go. But uh, what a great time to be a young person uh, with an engineering degree. Uh, it's just there there is so much going on. There's so much opportunity. Uh, it's amazing. Got to be very, very exciting for him. Let's uh, let's get to a call or two before we've got to wrap this show up. Let's go to Indiana. Bill, welcome to the program. 
Hey, thanks for taking my call, Kevin. You guys kind of killed my thunder a little bit now with all this technology. <laughs> I'm not sure if I want to ask my questions. <laughs> I'll go ahead. Yeah, it, it all matters. Yeah, the first this is one, all so far down yeah. the road, don't worry. <laughs> you all right? Well, I've got a 94 Kenworth T600. I apologize to Pittsburgh Power. I was scheduled for November 6th, but uh, one of the company owners put a kibosh on the registration, so I couldn't get it out there. I'm getting it in-framed locally. And... Uh, after that's done and I've got it on the road roadworthy, I wanted to throw a few options at you and see what order you would put them in. The first one was fleet air filter versus the OPS, and then the second one was uh, upgrading the D-Deck 3 ECM to D-Deck 4 and putting on the VGE Turbo versus the FAST. You know, we could argue. I'll, I'll, I'll jump in. We could argue ahead. back I'll, and I'll forth. Yeah, okay. we we could argue back and forth all day about you know, well, this one costs this much, returns this much. This one costs this much, returns this much. We could make ourselves crazy with the numbers. They're all good products. I would absolutely right. have all of them on my list. But one of the best ways I've found to simplify this whole decision making process—it's not perfect, but it works and it's easy. I just get get all of these items on a list, get them all priced with installation so we have total cost, and then I just sort that list from cheapest to most expensive and start working through it as my budget allows. I, I just found it's the easiest way to make these decisions. Right. And to throw a little extra into that question, I was going to say if cost wasn't the issue, what would you do first? All of it. If cost wasn't an issue, then I would just do it all first. <laughs> well, yeah, well, I mean, you had to place it in an order, but you wanted to get, you wanted to choose what actually gave you the well, better return and satisfaction first. That, well, that's when it starts to get complicated because we can even get down to the point okay. where a fleet air filter. I mean, none of these products are one hundred percent consistent across the board. Sometimes we'll get three tenths out of something. Sometimes we won't even get a measurable difference. So every truck's a little different, every operation's a little different, so sometimes one product helps one operation more than another or works better on one engine than on another. And once we start getting down to that, okay, let's try to figure out which one would be the best return on investment, that's when it gets complicated. So that's why I've said, look, the only way I know to simplify this and not have to sit here and run multiple numbers over and over, that may not be accurate anyway, is just we know they all work. We know they all have benefits. We know they're all going to save you money. This is the way that I know to make it easy. Get them all priced, put them in a list, cheapest to most expensive, and just start working through the list. John, do you have any other thoughts on that? I agree with that 100%. Um, I can still give you a little bit of a prioritization, if you don't mind. Um, no, go ahead. You know, the, yeah, go ahead. the fleet air filter, that again, that fits in with, Kevin, with Kevin's philosophy there. So just do that first. Just get one of those. And don't think about it, because no matter what the rest of the package is, that's going to help you. It's just a better filter. It's going to bring well, better. It it's, just, it's just better. So, yeah, so that, that, that's a no-brainer. Uh, the OPS, you know, your only return on investment of that is simply from not changing your oil. Kevin's a bigger fan of that than I. So even if you do every other oil change from what you would, that's going to pay for itself in, you know, three or four oil changes. So that that's that's a good one, too. Uh, you know, but to get your money back, you're definitely going to have to keep the oil in there longer. That's the only way that works. Uh, I do like what it does for your engine, though. So you will have some added life to the engine. Uh, you see the return on that investment when the engine goes, you know, 
a full million miles rather than seven or eight hundred thousand. So that's you, you could do the math on that, and that's when it that's when it pays for itself to me. Uh, that's that's the big deal there, just getting the stuff out of your engine, keeping the bearings nice and clean. Uh, the VG Turbo, that's a tough one. Uh, as much as I love that, and it's kind of my my brainchild. Unless you've got the 264 gears and are able to run indirect and run the engine at a low speed and take advantage of the big fat torque curve we give you, you may not see big gains from that. Truck's going to be more fun to drive. It's going to it's going to pull like a C15 Caterpillar. That's uh, you know that's all great. And if you get personal satisfaction from that and just want a truck that runs that way, then 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 go ahead and put it on. But money wise and fuel mileage wise, you know, unless you have the whole package and 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 you learn to drive it and run a low RPM and so forth, you you know you're not going to see a whole lot. Uh, our biggest success story with that's on Steve Crone's contraption. And, you know, he was just knocking on the door for 11. and was looking for a few more tents and we got him over the hump, you know, so that's, that's that kind of thing. Right. That was like an, that was like a, a cherry on top, you know, it's like, okay, we're, 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 we're close. We're close. We're close to, okay, let's, let's do the turbo. And, you know, then we had hundreds of hours in tuning to get it exactly where, where it needed to be. So, but, uh, that's how I look at that. I mean, you know, I don't know about the rest of your package. Uh, what I would recommend right now, as soon as you get that thing done, or after the rebuild's done, is get over here and let us put a tune on it. Uh, we'll, we'll help you out with that. We'll give it, you know, a nice 500 to the ground that's uh, efficient and you know a little more powerful than stock. And that's it. Then, Ethan, is there any advantage to go D deck three to D deck four? No. If he no. were D deck two, yeah. But if yeah. the three to four is such a that's splitting hairs, there's no reason to make that change. No, not whatsoever. Hey. Hey, we're we're just about out of time, John. I, I agree with you on all those points. Um, I, you said you know the the VG Turbo makes it pull like a C15 Cat, which is absolutely true. The tune would be amazing. I, I was just thinking, I wonder if there's going to come a time when you and I might make the comment, "Boy, if we do this, it'll pull like a Tesla." <laughs> no, no, with that, we will never have that opportunity. <laughs> Would, would be leaving would be leaving drive shafts and rear ends all over the ground to make it pull like that. There's that's, no chance. <laughs> that that's true. You you make another good point there. You could put all kinds of horsepower and torque into an engine. You can't get it to the ground though. Good point. It's it's not making it to the ground. No. Yeah, no. yeah. Good point. All right, that's gonna do it for today. Uh, lots of technology talk. I think I'm with John. We might have to split off and do a new show. Maybe we'll do it once a month called. Uh, truck tech maybe we'll call it something else i like the idea though where we just do a show where we just talk about the new technology today was kind of that day i've got to get out of here we will see you next time thanks for joining me be safe be profitable be fit and healthy always do the hard work and master the journey i'm kevin rutherford All right, we're going to start a second hour. We're going to get right to your calls and questions this time. Here we go. Your money, your taxes, your truck, and your road to success in the trucking industry. This is Trucking Business and Beyond, the show that puts the money where it belongs, back in your pocket. Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. The website is Let'sTruck.com. The show is all about the business of trucking, and today is the Power Hour. I've got John and Ethan with me from Pittsburgh Power. 
We'll take your calls and answer your questions about everything maintenance, engines, performance, fuel mileage, upgrades, modifications, troubleshooting, emissions, new technology, you name it. We'll talk about it. All you have to do is pick up the phone and call. And I'll tell you what, today we've got lots of questions, so we're just going to jump right into them and get started. We're going to head off to Missouri. Tad, welcome to the program. Hello? Yep, it's your turn. Go ahead. Hey, Tad. Hey. Just wanted to say, uh, first of all, happy Thanksgiving to you and your families. Be safe out there. Thank you. Uh, All right. Make two quick points, but then my main question. Uh, John, I'm now up to 27,000 miles. I've done 14 regens. Uh, I'm coming to see you. Hopefully we can get that problem fixed. It caused me to be late the other day, but that's okay. Um, And then the other on that oil... I just checked it at 25,000. I just now added less than a half a gallon on that new oil that you put in my truck. Terrific. So I don't know if that's good or bad. or uh, That's the first <laughs> time I've added any oil to my truck in four years. <laughs> well, it doesn't seem like much. Well, something's going on there, Tad. We need to get you in here sooner than later. Yeah, I, know. I know we well, got we you got on it. for, I what, the third, to, fourth? Maybe yeah. Well, I'll come in there, but my main, my, point, my main question is, um, okay, here's the thing. I wait until I get all the intel. I just want to be like, I just put brand new rubber and all that on, um, and I, I started getting a problem, and I've been listening to your callers the last couple of weeks. Now, at nighttime when I drive, I, I use these little red lights on the trailer as a, as a gauge, and I have a very slight vibration, okay? Now, and I've listened to what all you said, the recommendations to do. When I go from 10th, when I start doing a little incline or start pulling, when I go through 10th, getting ready to drop down the ninth, like it's ready to change, um, it'll vibrate my, I'll see the mirror vibrate. I'll hear it in my little uh, cubbyhole covers. And then when I come off the gas and go in the ninth and stay in ninth, it won't do it anymore. Um, and I know there's a vibration because if it's a nice day out and I put the window down, it's almost like a cover is vibrating on the right-hand side, and I can feel a tingle in my foot. Hmm. And That's I can be a tough one to suck all, I mean, is it, is it, of course, we've never looked at the drive shaft or anything. Is it, is it the motor mounts or whatever or the drive shaft? I mean, is that something we got to check out when I get up there? It might be. It might be time for how many miles are on that truck, Dad? We got six. We got six hundred and ten. Six ten. Okay. It might be time to get the drive shaft checked out. Uh, okay, they I'll recommend uh, five to six hundred. Yeah. So if we get them, uh, they they tend to twist a little bit. And you're making decent power, so there's a chance yours could be. Uh, so it's that it, that's a possibility. Uh, your regen issue. The reason it keeps regening is because when when it was here last time, it wouldn't wouldn't complete it. And we could not figure out exactly why it wouldn't complete. So those are all partial regens. So what's happening is it's trying to regen and not getting it done for whatever reason. Right. So well, we'll, like uh, said, we'll, get to the, we'll get to the bottom of it. I, I was hoping well, it would get worse, but, you know, it would have to get worse before it gets better because we should hopefully be able to diagnose it now when we, we really couldn't before. Well, well, like I said, I've got, I've got a log of all. I've got it from mm-hmm. every regen that I've done. I've got it all neatly on paper for you. All the codes, how much fuel it burned, what the temperature were—I right. I did all that for you to 
so you could get some right, kind good. of idea. And the the, the great I'll thing your, though, uh, fuel is, mileage um, right now. Nah, it's uh, it's gone down to the toilet. It's now eight five. Yeah, I think you might be running in some sort of D rate. And you said you weren't getting anything out of the Dorothy anymore either. So to me, means that might uh, maybe, it, you might it, be it, in the D rate that's got the EGR turned off. That man, I'm, so it may not. Yep. I'm just concerned yeah. because everybody else is everybody else is getting all like soft fillings of soot, and I pull mine off, and we got a couple crumbs, and it's you know as always. We don't get. I'll tell you what, the DD15s, even though the, they've responded to it pretty well, they don't get they don't pick up as much stuff as the Cummins. The Cummins. Uh, last guy that called me that we put one on, he went about twenty five thousand miles, and he took a, he you know a coffee cup full out which has been about yeah. the same for every Cummins, for every uh, ISX we've done. So the could Cummins be, is definitely could, catching. Could it be just a Detroit? They built such a good motor. I mean, because I overlooked all my samples that I took, my 10 samples, up to the Dorothy. Mm-hmm. And it's weird because I was at point two, point three without the Dorothy, and now with the Dorothy, yeah. I looked at the other two, I'm up to point four, point five. Uh, there, you've got something else going on. Cause remember when we first put it on, we were down at uh, less than one one tenth. Well, we so were, we were, yeah, we were down. We, we, uh, we were down, but um, like I said, I, I, do you want me to yep. come in sooner? Well, you're coming on the. I'm I'm so busy. It won't matter. Yeah, you're going to come in on the third and fourth, right? Right, but I want to come in on the second and get on that ten percent deal on the on the fleet air filter. But uh, <laughs> now nah, it's just it, it's just. It's just frustrating, John, because I've never done so many regens. In the first, I only did two, yeah, two or three in the first four years I had it, and now since I left the shop, we're, we're looking at in less than twenty-seven thousand miles. I just did my fourteenth regen yesterday. Yep. Uh, no, there's there's something going on. Yeah, there's definitely definitely a problem. Well, I'm so dropping it off, and I, I, I'm I'm dropping it off. I'm going to get married, and I ain't coming back until it's fixed. <laughs> Okay, good, perfect. But no, but the reason I called, I'm starting to get that slight. And I, what concerned me is now here that maybe this will help. Now I got to put my foot right now. If I let off and hit the gas hard, I want to say I feel a clunk under my foot, but I don't. It's like a noise. But that's only if I let off and hit the gas real quick. I'm so I'm wondering, this could yeah. be mounts on the motor, uh, or or U joint. Yeah, something's loose. You got something going on. Yeah, U joint. Yeah, because like uh, I said, carrier like bearing. Said, uh, I, yeah. Yeah, it, 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 it tickles my foot when I'm on it, but I just did something now I wanted to see. When I let off the gas and hit it real hard real quick, I, all I can tell you, I, I want to say it's making a noise, but you can feel something up front. Okay. Yeah, there's there's something. Yeah, it's, it's, it could be a mount, too. But, yeah, you've got some driveline slop from some reason, so we'll look at that, too. All right, let's head off to Alabama. Wallace, welcome to the program. Yeah, guys. Hey, Wallace down in Alabama. Hey, I got a 2007 uh, ISX. I got 515,000 miles on it. And I purchased this truck. I ain't got it on the road yet. I'm just doing a few things to it. And kind of got a, what I thought was a deal on it. Uh, uh, but anyhow, I got two problems. Uh, see if y'all might could help me with it. Uh, when I first crank it up, and it's sitting there warming up. It gets to the point about to where that the EGR valve is to activate, you know, what does it do, close up or open at that point. Uh, then I get 
over there at my actuator valve, I get a noise over there. It's like I'm trying to force air through a small hole. Uh, and uh, it hadn't been doing this. It had been doing properly like it was supposed to, you know, when it got to the right temperature, the EGR valve would activate. Then you would hear, you know, the, you could hear it when it kicked in, the sizzling, you know, out the exhaust pipe. But now uh, it seems like right when it gets to about before the, the EGR valve is supposed to activate, it seems like it's in. It's the noise is coming from the actuator valve. Is where the noise is at. And like I say, it sounds like you're trying to force air through a, a real small place, you know, with with force to it. And I was wondering if y'all might could help me uh, see what the problem might be. Uh, one thing to check there is again, do a, a a boost test on it. We just had one come in the shop where the EGR piping was leaking. And that's what we found when we did a boost test. It was actually, you know, the pipe had developed a hole in it. Uh-huh. So that's a very good possibility because when that EGR kicks on, the, the turbo changes position to, to force more air through the engine. Um, and you could just be hearing the extra whistling of the air as it tries to compensate for the hole in the system. Uh-huh. Yeah, I do know I got two uh, broke, uh, boats there on the manifold at the front of the manifold and uh, I didn't know if, if that might be causing this you know in some way or another uh, there where it up you know at the front of the manifold close to the EGR valve I didn't know if I had a bad EGR valve now you know it's, it's just started doing this and I didn't know if I might have a bad EGR valve or if I had a bad actuator valve uh, you know on either one or the other there uh, it could be, but I always like to start with the cheapest method of uh, just boost testing it there, because uh, it's the most probable problem, and that would mean it's the most likely, and it's also the cheapest one to, to check. Excellent advice on how to troubleshoot right there. Wish more people did it that way. We've got to get to a break. We're going to come back and get to more of your calls and questions. Stick around. This is the Power Hour. I'm Kevin Rutherford. I've got John and Ethan with me from Pittsburgh Power. We'll be right back. Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. This is the Power Hour. We're going to get right back to the phone calls. We're off to Arizona. Paul, welcome to the program. It's your turn. Hey, Kevin. Thanks for taking my call. You're welcome. uh, I had two questions. Uh, One, 
on aerodynamics on my trailer, I've got a 53-foot van with the smart truck um, set up on it with the sled underneath. And I'm looking at getting belly boxes. And my question is on the aerodynamics of the sled, um, I think putting a big belly box all the way across would kind of defeat the purpose of the sled. Am I mistaken on that? Uh, John may have a better answer for you than I will. I, I don't know. The more I study aerodynamics, the more I realize that anything and everything changes that airflow, and I can't predict how. Um, John, you may have some answers. We may even have to bring in Smart Truck uh, to see what they think about this. Would, would yeah, we have to, we have to give uh, we have to give Wolfie a call. Uh, I believe that it will. I if it goes the whole way across somewhere ahead of the sled, is that what they call the sled? I call it the yeah, so under tray. What that's reliant on the under tray, yeah. So so what that's reliant on is uh, speeding up the air that goes under. If you've tumbled the air before it gets it, I'm not sure that the under tray is going to catch it. Uh, you know, to have it attached to it, so that air is what they call attached. It becomes attached to the uh, under tray and it speeds up. And when it squeezes it between there and the ground, and it, it's it's attached in the shape of that under tray, kicks it back up to fill in the void behind your truck. So what that does is kind of creates uh, a high pressure area behind the truck that that makes like an invisible trailer tail, shall we say? So you so what the purpose of that thing is got everything to do with what it does with the air behind the tr- behind the the truck itself. So if you've disturbed that air to the degree with big square boxes in front of it. I can't imagine that it's uh, going to be as effective as effective as if they were not there. Now, if it's farther up on the truck toward the landing gear and they go down the sides and you've got an opening in the middle, it may be fine. Uh, I'd probably try to make it work with something. I'd try to fare in the back edge of the boxes somehow so that the air could reattach to that and uh, and, 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 and direct over to the uh, to the under tray. So. And depending on the the boxes themselves, I mean, pretty much any design I think is going to figure into that. It's a, it's definitely going to going to affect that in you know one way or another. Okay, yeah, because my my what I was trying to figure out is the sled is about fifty two inches wide, and mm-hmm. if I was instead of putting a full length belly box on, if I put two, one on each side that were only about twenty four inches deep it would leave about a 50-inch space between there for the air to flow down to to the sled. And I, I'm just wondering if that, you know, uh, does that make sense? Would that, be, would that still help the functionality of it, or does that even create more of an air disturbance issue? I think it might help, actually. I, I think that if you channel that air down the middle, uh, the boxes are going to act like side skirts to some degree. So that should help, and if they, you know, if they're far enough ahead of the under tray, it may not have that ill of an effect. Okay. All right. Yeah, because I'm going to put them right up against the landing gear, as far as tight to the landing gear right. as I can, so that there's as much space between there and the sled. Um, my other question was: This is one of those cases uh, where, uh, you know, do, have it, have whatever you do make sense. You know, look at it. You know, the the thing. The, there's a saying in, in uh, race engineering that says, or engineering in general, I believe, that said if something doesn't look right, it isn't. So if you, if you do it, you know, make sure it looks right. Make sure it looks like air can make it there. And, uh, you know, I call it my wind tunnel vision. So I try, try to imagine what the air is doing and where it's going. 
And, you know, I've actually got to spend time in wind tunnels and see what it does so that that helps. But the uh, it's it's interesting, you know, to what, what happens with it. But it, just think of water. It really does work in the same way as water. You move your move your hand through a bathtub, you're going to get a good example of what the, what the air going around your hand looks like when you stick it out the window. So right. it's it's very similar. So so give the, keep that in mind as you do it, and uh, see what happens. I mean, just get some empirical data. You know, put them on and okay. take it out and run it for a while and see what happens. Okay. And look at this stuff uh, when it gets dirty. Uh, get a look at you know after you run in the rain for a while, climb under there and take a look at the under tray, and see what the the dirt marks look like. See what the streaks look like. See what it looks like. And then after you've you know do it again after you've put your boxes on, take a look at it. Oh, I see what you're saying. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, great. The other the other question I had: Do they have does uh, Fleet Air Filter have an air filter for the 2017 uh, Freightliner, the DD15? I believe so. I'm pretty sure we've installed them. That's been the same one I think since 15. But uh, we just had the guy on the last show who could answer that question for you immediately. Yeah, I couldn't get in, though. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, <laughs> that's what I needed to know. I, I appreciate it, and uh, we'll talk to you guys again. All right. Thanks for the call. All right. Thank you. We're going to head off to Ohio. Joe, welcome to the program. Hey. What's on your mind today? Hey, you hear me? Yep. Go ahead. Yep. What can we do for you? Okay. All right. Uh I have a little bit of a financial situation when it comes to deciding what I want to pick up. I got about $500 saved up because I bought a used truck at the beginning of the year, and two months in, the main bearing bearing spun out in the engine. I had to get a new engine. And uh, the last the last show, I was convinced that the fleet air filter is definitely what I should get for the number one thing. Is there anything I can add on for about 200 bucks? I don't know. I'd, I'd go with the fleet air filter and save the 200 bucks for your next purchase. Okay. And then I had one other little tiny question. Uh, on the 387, that little visor up there, is that hurting my fuel economy by the way the air goes up underneath there? Or? Um, I, I think so. When you look at you know any of the super truck projects, when you look at any of the really aerodynamic trucks that that's the anything external sticking out away for the most part unless it's been aerodynamically designed is going to hurt airflow and you know all the super trucks it's they no visors very very smooth transition right up there at the top which is a critical point uh so i i do believe that any of the visors are going to negatively affect airflow john have you paid any attention to any that you know, don't probably disturb airflow somewhat? Uh, I I have, and I'm not that well-versed on which trucks they were. I believe it was the Kenworth T, which might be similar to this Peterbilt. There's one of them that actually looks like it probably helps. It's not, uh, it's open. It uh, probably channels air and helps to speed up some air up over the top of the the roof of the the truck. But it was one of the ones, uh, I think it's a T... Is it a T680 or T700, the one that's got the full roof that goes over everything? I'm not sure either. Oh, yeah, because mine, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so, mine sticks out, so yeah, and, and then it has and it has an open gap underneath there, and then it has a flat spot behind it. So it's basically like a wind sock that you sewed the end up shut is what it looks like if you look at it. 
Yeah, that's that's the one I think that might actually help. The rest of them I think are, are, are terrible. I think they're just a big big pack of bunch of Arab. But that there's a one on the one pack our product that that looks like it uh, probably helps. Um, you know, again, uh, that would be something that I'd uh, I'd take off and do a couple of trips with it and put it back on. I'd, I'd try I'd try both ways. But uh, there is one that looks like it probably helps the air to attach to go over the top, which would just uh, would speed some air up and add some air to that air that's attached to the top of the cab and over the roof of the bunk, and probably helps seal up on the way over to the roof of the trailer. So that's uh, the prob- that's the effects of that probably help the whole way at the trailer. So if it works, okay. if it doesn't, it's just a, it's just going to it's just gonna, air is just going to pack up in front of it and it's going to be drag. So. All right, thanks. All right, thanks for the call. You're welcome. Hey, John, we're coming up on a break. I just happened to be, uh, while you were answering that question, I just happened to be scrolling through Facebook. Um, uh, You and I have now been blamed um, on wasting the entire power hour uh, talking about (laughs) autonomous and electric vehicles. We've been scolded for wasting the whole hour. I apologize to whoever it is that we upset with that. We did kind of get rolling there. I do apologize if you're waiting for a call, hopefully, around this hour. (laughs) But, you know, in a good way, really. This is really important information for the trucking industry. I mean, you may not want to hear it, and clearly that's why there's lots of channels on the radio and other things you could go do. Um, and I do like the idea of you and I taking, you know, a show once a month and doing all new technology and, you know, we'll, we'll separate that out, but I, I'm certainly not going to stop talking about this. I'm not going to stop posting about this. We, and I've been saying this for a year now, we are in the middle of probably one of the biggest disruptions we'll ever see in this industry. And, and to not talk about this, I think would, uh, almost be criminal. Oh, I agree. Sticking your head in the sand is no way to deal with it. It's uh, Technology is going to happen. You can't stop it. If there's something in the world you cannot stop, you know, it's <laughs> it's right up there with a the meteor heading toward Earth. Yeah. I mean, technology, you are not going to stop. It, no. You're not. You just can't. People are going to learn. Schools are going to teach. Uh, learn. You know, it, it's, it's, it's nonstop. You know, so the, the willful ignorance some people have just drives me insane. You know, so it's, it's you, you cannot stop technology. And it's a wonderful thing. Enjoy it. You know, it's a, obviously I'm pretty passionate about it and care, and yeah, I thoroughly enjoy it. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree more, and I guess I should be, you know, somewhat appreciative of the fact that even though we're on the air 13 hours, people still want more. And if I had more time, I would do more time. Um, but I will think about pulling the uh, technology, the electric vehicles, the autonomous vehicles off, and we'll do a show. We'll be right back. Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. This is the Power Hour. The website is Let'sTruck.com. I've got John and Ethan with me from Pittsburgh Power. Um, 
John, I, I just want to make a, another comment. You know, clearly I understand why drivers are very upset about autonomous technology. I get that. I'm upset. It, it eliminates my entire business and my audience. It, and so I'm not really excited about that change, but I realize what you just said is absolutely ironclad true. We're not going to even slow down technology. It's not going to happen. We are moving forward on that front, and the best we can do is watch for it, look for the opportunities. The I, I, but I certainly wouldn't confuse this, you know, new excitement about electric vehicles with autonomous vehicles. Two totally different things, and I think somehow they're getting mixed up. Partly because we're talking about Tesla. And Tesla is also kind of a leader in the autonomous technology. But honestly, in the near term, and when I say near term, I'm talking the next decade, the next 10 years, I am really excited about what's going on in trucking. Honestly, I'll say this again. If I still had my fleet at FedEx, I'd be ordering one of those Tesla trucks. I would be very excited to be an owner-operator thinking about going down the road in, a, in an electric truck that has some pretty advanced autopilot features that may allow me to do some other work while I'm driving. You know, if the vehicle can kind of take over when we're on the highway and it's safe to do so and I could be booking my next load or calling customers or, you know, getting some work done or wh- who knows, whatever it might be, I, I think the next decade in trucking is extremely exciting. I don't see autonomous technology putting a lot of drivers out of work in the next 10 years. Beyond 10 years, I wouldn't even venture to guess. There, there's too much changing right now. You know, I find it interesting when I see these predictions very long term. Like I, I saw something that said, you know, gave some percentage of how many trucks will be electric by the year 2050. Well, who's stupid enough to try to predict what's going to happen in 2050? I'm not sure what's going to happen by 2020. And that's only a couple of years away. I, I agree. Yeah. And with all these technologies, there's other opportunity. I mean, there there are going to be blue-collar jobs to go with it. There are going to be, you know, the phases of autonomy are going to be, you know, probably just some lanes here and there, but, the, but there will have to be staffed, uh, you know, places where these things stop and you know there's going to there's going to be a relay station of some sort there's going to be there's just so much that's going to go on between now and you know 50 years from now that there's opportunity in. and even the electric end i mean that that rare earth stuff that's in the in the motors that uh you know they're going to be mines to find that neodymium what, what's that stuff called neodymium neodymium that's and it then, yeah. uh, they use strontium too and so so there's there's a lot of you know you, you look at you know the you know I made the analogy in the last show about the you know steel jobs you know we'll have more jobs in the autonomous world but the, the, all this stuff that goes in that all the cottage industry around it there's there's opportunity in all of it you just need to keep your eyes open which is you know why I don't mind talking about it and it's a hobby of mine I love it you know I, I love technology I love to see what's new I love to you know see really cool things like that you know it's just uh, it's you know keeps me occupied it's what I read at night. Yeah, well, me too. And, and like I say, I think the next decade in trucking is really exciting. I don't see this as a negative right now. Long term, maybe if I were, you know, 25 years old in this industry, I'd be thinking what my long term options might be. But, you know, a decade is a long time. 
And I, I think we have a decade of just huge opportunity, and I think this technology is exciting. What was that word you guys were just saying? What, what was that? The rare earth? Neodymium. Neodymium. That's, Neodymium. That's the, that's the stuff in the, in the, the magnets inside the motors. All yeah, right. that's an actual permanent magnet motor that uses a rare earth magnet rather than coils. That's why they're so efficient now. Got it. So the, the batteries, you know, you talk about energy and battery, but the engines be, or the motors have become so much more efficient since they don't have to have a charged coil wound around the around the armature, uh, around the stator, whatever you want to call it. The stator is on the outside, right? So uh, my my electric motor, uh, I'm not that versed <laughs> in electric motor, but regardless, they don't need a they don't need a, a, an electromagnet on the outside of it. Got it. It's a it's a permanent magnet now, which is that's the technology that's happened in the past few years that really. As is helping this to explode. It's on both ends. It's the motors and the batteries. Got it. But uh, right. you know, for the, the the storage has gone up, and the motors have become way more efficient because they use this stuff. Well, that stuff's got to come from somewhere. You know, someone's right. got to got to dig it up. You yeah, know, it's got to. <laughs> it yeah. has to. You know, so that's that's the deal. Well, that was a great lesson. I just wanted to to learn how to pronounce the word because you know it kind of reminded me of the. Of, of, <laughs> well, I, I have to defer. I have to defer to Ethan on it. I, I, it yeah, I get it wrong every time. Well, it, it kind of reminded me of of molybden. I can never get that one right. The Molly that's in oil. I still can't pronounce that word right. <laughs> I'll just call it Molly. It's molybdenum. easier. Mo- yeah, molybdenum. Yeah. <laughs> that, that one always gets me all twisted up. All right. Let's get back to some phone calls. Let's go to Texas. Mark, welcome to the program. Hey, good afternoon, gentlemen. At the risk of hurting the feelings of all the Facebook trolls out there and talking about <laughs> autonomous technology, um, I, you know, I, this is the first time I've heard Kevin today say anything as far as my thought process on autonomous vehicles and everybody talking about it and worrying about it and thinking they're going to be out of a job and so on and so forth. Just think of it this way. We, we've had the technology for completely autonomous trains for a long time, yet we still have engineers, Okay. Same thing applies to aircraft, okay? We have the technology to fly an aircraft from start to finish, land it, take off, land it, the whole ball of wax, yet we still have pilots, okay? It'll be a long time. It's not going to be in my lifetime for sure, and probably not anybody that's 25 years old lifetime that there's going to be trucks rolling down the road with no no people in them. I, I just... I don't see that happening. If they're not doing it with trains or planes, what makes you think they're going to do it with semis? I, you know, and that, today was the first time I've ever heard Kevin make a little bit of a reference to that. I'm glad he did finally, and I hope it puts some people's mind at ease. But bottom line, it, it, it's not going to happen anytime soon. It, well, it's and- 25 plus years away from even, a, you know, happening. <laughs> trains will happen first and then and then planes maybe uh but trucks i, I, I just don't see it happening i, I'll so, di- I mean i i can see full autonomous but there's going to be somebody behind that wheel I, i'll disagree with you on on the order and and here's why i i do think i i'm not i haven't really studied the train thing um but i can tell you uh, it's on a track 
No, I, I understand. I mean, it, how I, much more safe could you be? I understand, but so and like I said, I haven't really thought much about why it hasn't happened in trains yet. But I'll talk about why it hasn't happened in planes, and it's not going to happen in planes anytime soon. Because here's the thing: if we take a truck and we make it fully autonomous, there's no driver in it whatsoever, and it crashes. Well, it's possible it's going to crash on its own and nobody gets hurt. It's possible it runs into another vehicle and it kills somebody. It could happen. It could kill three or four people. It could run into a bus and maybe it kills ten. And I'm not downplaying that, but there's two huge reasons you're not going to see this in a commercial airplane. One, passengers aren't going to get on a plane without a pilot. They're just not going to do it. That's perception. It's not going to happen. And two, if the technology goes wrong, you're going to kill 300 people on the plane and maybe 300 more on the ground somewhere. The catastrophe would be huge when it happens. So I don't see it happening in planes, period, for those two reasons. But when you look at the, the vehicle technology on the road... And you see a company like Uber just ordered 24,000 cars with their plan to be fully autonomous. I, I don't, I personally, I, I don't think I would bet on it taking 25 years. I'll go, I'll yeah, go with that. Yeah, we can agree to disagree there. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the different reason, as I mentioned in the last show about the, uh, you know, calling calling Tesla a technology company more than an automotive company. Though the companies that developed the autonomy for the for the trains, that was just to give the guys a break who were there. And one man in a train, or one or two or three, whatever it takes, is hauling what a hundred yeah. trucks worth of stuff or more. Right. Like, like how much you know with the intermodal stuff, how many trailers stacked on top of each other times how many cars? Yeah. So how many drivers does that one driver of the train represent? So it's it's not a in the train, that the uh, the engineer is not the the financial factor that it is in a truck. Good point. Okay, so the, you, the, the the numbers are really skewed there. So there's really not much advantage to having the train be fully automated. Like it's it's not saving anybody any money. Uh, very little. I mean, it's 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 a, compared to per, per ton of freight that it's hauling, it's nothing. So in a truck, it's a whole other story. Or trucks, it's a whole other story. So that that that'll drive it. Uh, yeah, hate hate to cut you off. We're going to come right back, but uh, that's a very good point on the train side. You're right. There's just not a big economic incentive there. We start talking about vehicles on the road, whether it's cars or trucks. It's a whole different game. We'll be right back. Stick around. I'm Kevin Rutherford. All right, we are heading into the final segment. I'm, we might be able to squeeze in um, one more call or so. So if you've got a question or a comment and you press 1 on your phone right now, we might be able to squeeze you in. Here we go. Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. 
This is the Power Hour. We're down to the final segment. We're going to get right back to the phone calls. We are off to North Dakota this time. John, welcome to the program. Hi, Kevin. Hi, uh, John. Hi. Uh, yeah. I was listening to Pittsburgh Power on the app here this last Sunday, and then next thing you know, uh, Kevin Beckett came across. I heard you guys talking about your uh, fuel being off balance in the tanks. And then Kevin was saying, Beckett was saying how he steered the axles because of the crown of the road. And then something clicked in my mind. I'm just wondering on the physics on it. It, Could that be the crown of the road be the reason why you're 10, 20 gallons off between tanks? Hmm. Hmm. That was my first thought, John. Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> I don't know. It could yeah. be. How much angle? Uh, you have to do the math on that. It's going to balance out, you know, because it's going to siphon yeah. back and forth. Regardless of what the delivery is, it's still going to sh- should even up. So if there's enough of a crown yeah. on the road, it, I could I could see that creating an imbalance. A good right. call. I didn't well, even think hey, of that. Yeah, whatever side the yeah. splitter valve would be up would right. right. Hey, restriction. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, hey, John. Right. I I like that <laughs> philosophy. Miles, you know, John, I have an a, yeah. over yeah. O- over. 1200 miles you're going to end up with 20 or 30 gallons in the passenger side tank over the driver's side tank so i, I, I don't hey, know that's I, kind of a thought that was running through my head and i was thinking of taking it back to the physics and the basics <laughs> well that's a, that's a, that's an interesting yep. thought john i have an assignment for you then Uh, Okay, I'm going to have to do the math on that, huh? Well, no, you need to jump on a plane and fly someplace where they drive on the left side of the road, and let's see if the left side (laughs) tank holds more fuel than the right side. Great, great excuse for me to go to New Zealand. I got it. Yeah, I'm there. But the earth, but but with the uh, everything spins the other direction down there too. I don't know how that would how that would work. That's so right. Have to go to England and do research instead. That's, that's right. That <laughs> might screw things up. You know, it, it it it's true that where they drive on the left side of the road, vehicles all have a tendency to pull to the left, as whereas here they we always pull to the right, and it's a crown of the road thing, and you, you can't overcome that with alignment. In fact, it's almost the opposite. Sometimes it's almost impossible to make a truck pull to the left. If you start to overcompensate that way, it still goes back and keeps pulling to the right. Well, you're going to tear tires off of it, and you're going to uh, be really, really, really inefficient if you were to do that. So, yeah. yeah. You just got to deal with it to fall on the crown a little bit. Interesting thought on that. Yeah. Well, uh, I like people that think that way, though. Let's go to awesome. yeah. yeah. Let's go to California, Dave. Welcome to the program. Hi, uh, Kevin. Yeah, I'm about to buy a truck. Uh, it's a 2000. My friend is uh, buying a new truck, and he's selling me his uh, T13 2008 uh, Peterbilt, and he only wants five thousand for it, and uh, he's got a rebuilt engine about sixty-five thousand miles ago. Well, hold hold so on. I want to know: hey, is that a good deal? Hold on. You said a two thousand and eight. I thought I heard T thirteen. What's that? Yes. What is a T thirteen? T thirteen Peterbilt. Peterbilt. I don't know what that truck is. I don't either. I've never oh. heard. Oh. Well, it says four hundred six. 
that's the size. T13, I thought that was the size of the truck. Maybe, maybe, uh, maybe it's got a C13 engine in it. 2008, it could have a C13. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's what I meant. C13. I'm sorry, Cat13. <laughs> I'm sorry. Okay. All right. Yeah, okay. So, yeah. Got it. All right. So, yeah. what you said it's a Peterbilt. Do we know which model? Oh, I just know he said uh, T13, uh, I mean, uh, C13 Peterbilt 2008. I'm, I'm not sure, I, you know, what model it is, but it's, I've seen so, the truck. It's uh, slightly smaller than the, yeah, so the be- you know, before truck we, that I've been driving. Before we get down to any details, um, first off, I own one of those engines. I own an 07 C13, very, very similar. The 08 is actually going to be worse because it's going to have a DPF. I'm not happy with my C13, period. I'm not sure that there's much we could do to it that would make me happy. I think 08s are the trucks I I would stay away from in general. Um, $6,000 might convince me to buy something, because there's not that much you could lose. But I I think there's a bigger issue here. you sound like you're pretty new to trucking. How long have you been doing this? Actually, I've been doing it for a long time, but never kept, never uh, uh, got a really good job at a good company. So why? So I so, just so you, uh, yeah. I, I'm good. You've never been an owner operator. Then would this be your first truck? Yes, and he yeah. wants five thousand for it. Oh, 5000 Well, that's even a little more enticing. But, again, I think there's a bigger picture here. Um, this almost sounds like, to me, like it's what I call a, a purchase because of opportunity rather than a purchase because it, we it had, yeah. yeah, rather than a purchase because we had a real business plan in place and we're following the plan. I've watched people do this my whole life. They're driving down the road and they see a storefront that's for rent. Oh, look, that would be a great place to have a store. Well, if you were really looking for a great place to have a store and you actually had a plan, you would find dozens of places. There are thousands and thousands of trucks for sale. But this sounds to me like you weren't really in the market to get a truck and become an owner-operator, but your friend has this truck, so maybe I'll think about it. I think that's a horrible reason to buy a truck. So this wouldn't be my first choice of truck, an 08 C13 I I can't get really excited about. But again, I really think the bigger issue here is if you were to sit down and you truly wanted to become an owner-operator and you had a plan and you were working through the plan, the truck itself, they're everywhere. This may or may not be a great deal. I don't know. $5,000 is kind of hard to go wrong. But I, I, I honestly don't think you're really in a position to buy this truck and become an owner-operator. Um, I, I just think you should put more work into the plan, rather than just saying, oh, look, here's this opportunity, and I don't know if it's a great opportunity or not, um, but a lot could go wrong. So I, I think you should take a step back and decide whether you truly want to be in business and own a truck, because that's a big step. And if you work through that and this truck's still around and still available, maybe this is the one to buy. Um, but I, I, I wouldn't buy it just because it's there and it's cheap. Um, Let's get to another call. Let's go to Oklahoma. Tim, welcome to the program. 
Hey, guys. How's it going? Good. What's on your mind? Good. Good. I got a 2013 uh, Cascadia DD13 uh, auto shift with 264 rear, super wide, singles. And um, I was wanting to get the ECM reprogrammed where I can get, you know, because it's a, it's a Maverick truck. It was a Maverick truck, so I don't have a lot of horsepower. What, what year is it? The 13. To, yeah, 2013. We're not quite there yet with that one. That's a, that's. We're going to work on, well, it's a DD15, but the 13 should be the same. Yeah, very close. That's actually I'm working on that as we speak. Yeah, we're working on it right now. Uh, We've got have... a truck coming over the holiday break between Christmas and New Year that uh, one of the radio show listeners has been uh, kind enough to give us as a test mule. Uh, so we're going to be developing tunes for that uh Hopefully, we'll have something for you after the first of the year. But I'd highly recommend okay. it. Yeah, we could do, uh, we'd definitely give you a little bit more horsepower, get in there and uh, flash that, and we could we could do some more for you on it. So we've had pretty good success with the tune on the pre-DEF, uh, DD13s okay. and 15s. Or, yeah. And so the, the, we've got some really, really nice running trucks there. But uh, we've not uh, got all the all the code we need to do the uh, to do the newer ones yet. The, uh, but I'd highly recommend it, especially if it was a company truck. I mean, we could, you know, we could even just give you a little bit more and make it better. Okay. Did he go to a dealership and get a flash to the highest factory? He could. Um, and I, if you've got a friendly Detroit dealer, you might be able to pop in there and just have it have it turned up to the highest factory rating for that engine, uh, if it's the okay. you know correct parts list. The, the dealer told me that it, where it said it was all they could do with it, so I don't know. Okay, well that might it might already be there then. It may already be there. So, yeah. Okay. But that's a great little engine. Yeah, you should you should uh, enjoy that. Yeah, the, the only thing is I got to run, you know, 58 or 60. Sometimes I need to step it on up to get but my fuel mileage is good when I stay around 60 or below. You know, keep right, the RPMs about okay. 135 to 1400. I do good. But once I get over that, it starts falling back. It's still doing good. All right, got to cut it off right there. We are all out of time. Thanks to John and Ethan from Pittsburgh Power for doing all the heavy lifting around here. Thanks for all the callers. Great stuff. We'll see you next time. Be safe. Be profitable. Be fit and healthy. Always do the hard work and master the journey. I'm Kevin Rutherford. All right.